Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Not So Grateful Dead podcast. Is your host, Grayson Decker, back at it again with another episode. But this episode is very special because it is number one out of eight of our Halloween week episodes, the Not So Grateful Eight episodes. I am so excited. It's going to be a very fun week. I can't believe the Halloween is so close so excited still have no idea what i'm going to be so keep on giving me recommendations please because your girl needs help she needs help creighton and i both do i kind of want us to be something together so if you have any cute like couple recommendations send them my way please anyways yeah i think that's about it i also hope that you enjoy our lovely episode 20 today along with this episode. That one's going to be a good one, so give it a listen as well. And yeah, let's get into it. All right, let's get spooky. All right, everyone. So today I have in store for you some Reddit creepy pastas. And a creepypasta is essentially just a scary story or some sort of internet urban legend and they've been passed around all over the internet and it can't really be determined who the original author is. Imagine a myth that you basically put your own personal spin on to essentially create your own scary story. That's basically what a creepypasta is and I'm gonna read you some today. I think I have four for you, but they're quite lengthy. So yeah, let's just get right into it with the first one. All of these are from r slash creepypastas on Reddit. And the first one is from u slash Erutius, I think. It's E-R-U-T-I-O-U-S. And it is titled The Longest Halloween. Ready to go trick-or-treating, sweetie? Matthew is standing on the front porch, looking up at his mother through the eye holes of my homemade costume. Homemade ghost costume, sorry. Mom, I don't feel good. Maybe I won't go out tonight. His mom looked down at him, smiling in that strange way he had become accustomed to. It was definitely supposed to be his mom, her red hair falling softly around her shoulders as she wore the thrift store bridal gown she had ripped up for her zombie bride costume. But Matthew knew... It wasn't her. When she turned her head, he could hear the tendons creak in her neck, and her rictus of a smile made the corners of her mouth turn up painfully. Come on, honey. Halloween only comes once a year. Matthew sighed, if only that were the case. They stepped off the front porch, making their way into the throng of children that happily capered around the cul-de-sac. His ghost costume looked a little plain when compared to others, but Matthew couldn't find it in himself to be self-conscious anymore. They weren't kids, at any rate. Not the kids he'd grown up with. Behind their colorful mask, or face paint, or oddly yellow eyelids, were black and soulless eyes. I can't, Matthew said, letting his hand slip from his mother's. Can't what, sweetie? She asked, turning her painful smile to him. I can't do this anymore, he yelled, throwing his bucket down and rounding on her. The throngs of trick-or-treaters turned to stare at him, and Matthew suddenly realized his mistake. Not for the first time, and not for the last. Sweetie, his mother said, turning slowly, her arms and legs like something full of coat hangers and newspaper. It's Halloween. You either treat or you get trekked. The kids began to circle around him, their voices low and their eyes shining like pools of tar. Trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat. Matthew could feel his heart beating into his ears. It was noisy, soupy, and constantly pounding, fundamentally different from a normal heartbeat in every way. He bumped into a teenage Michael Myers, and the big mute pushed him over before he could properly get his bearings. He fell down, hard on his chest and then they were on him. Luckily, as Matt lay face down on the concrete, he didn't have to watch this time. They ripped his back apart, their sharp little teeth digging into his flesh. He felt the warm blood oozing down his back, the asphalt drinking it up as the kids tore him apart. His arm separated with a sickening pop, his sheet 
tearing as it was ripped. And as Matthew lost consciousness, he hoped that maybe this would be the time it would end. He was so tired, tired of being a ghost, tired of Halloween. And as the bright lights made him squint, he felt hot tears join his blood on the pavement. Sorry. Ready to go trick-or-treating, sweetie? Matthew looked up at his mother, nodding as he reached up and took her hand for the thousandth time. Thousandth time. It didn't feel like a real hand, not anymore. It felt mushy in the wrong places, hard and unmoving in others, like a palsied claw after a loved one had a stroke. She looked down at him, smiling like a corpse, and Matthew tried to ignore the fact that the skin around her ears was darker than it had been the last time. His mother appeared to be rotting before his eyes, but to make note of it, might bring some bring on something worse. He walked once more into the sea of children, watching them run and cheer, but feeling their eyes as they tracked him. The whole street was like living in a forest of lions. Any minute, they might spring from concealment and tear you to pieces. He had been here long enough to know, however, that as long as you played along with the everlasting Halloween, it was content to keep you in its clutches. As they came to the first house, Matthew could see old Mr. DeBrow as he smiled and stepped through the door. The liver spots on his head were starting to look more like mold, but Matthew tried to ignore it as he shook his bag half-heartedly. The old man would drop two small Kit Kats in there and tell him to have a great evening just like he did every time, and Matthew wanted to get on with this charade. When the candy didn't fall into the bag like it always did, Matt looked up and saw the grinning face of the old man as it loomed over him. Forget your manners, son? Matthew gasped. He'd become compliant or complacent again, sorry. He'd been here long enough to know that you didn't get candy unless you said the magic words, but he was just so tired. He'd been trick-or-treating for ages and he was just exhausted. Every time he finished, every time he came to the end, good or bad, it would all just begin again. And he was starting to feel like if he looked at his own reflection, he might be the one who was beginning to rot. He tried to stammer out a hurried trick-or-treat, but he could already see the long, sharp legs as they protruded from the corners of the man's mouth. Whatever horrors that lay inside these things already dragging itself free. The words came from what sounded like a drowned man's throat, or the dying voice of someone who's slowly choking to death, and Matthew heard it just as the pinchers of the horrific whatever it was shot out between Mr. DeBro's stained false teeth and latched onto his head. The teeth clicked together as they hit the ground like a set of sad castanets, but Matthew heard his words as he faded once more to black. You'll have to keep it in mind for next time. Ready to go trick-or-treating, sweetie? Matthew didn't even look up at her this time. He lifted his hand and grabbed a hold of her withered paw as he let her lead him into the cul-de-sac. He moved on autopilot, remembering only the words that must be said as he came to each house. The candy filled the bag. The grown-ups continued to smile their hollow grins. And all the while, Matthew trudged onward. He saw the corner coming up. The junction of Marla and Casterly and Matt saw someone that made him cold inside. The man was dressed as Indiana Jones, bullwhip hanging gauntly over his waist, and when he turned to wave at someone who had called his name, Matthew steered his mother towards a different house back down the road. We miss the, uh, Jerfth. Say that. Jafferth's? Jafferth's house? Mom, Mrs. Jafferth? Wanted to see your costume, remember? His mother looked unsure, but she turned away, smiling as she allowed herself to be led away. All right, Maddie, no need to tug. Matt looked back as they left, seeing the man, knowing that he didn't want his mother to talk to him. She had talked to him once before, hadn't she? She had talked to him and something bad had happened, but it didn't seem like something that had happened in here. He didn't know and he couldn't say, but when he saw him, the ear-shattering heartbeat came on again, and he knew that letting her talk to him would be the scariest thing that he had ever experienced. As the night went on, Matthew held out hope that the lights might start going off and that he might be allowed to sleep. The bag was heavy, the pillowcase bulging oddly as it threatened to split, but still, he and his mother walked the streets of the cul-de-sac. How many times had he done this? Matt wondered, 100, 200, 1,000? 
It felt like an eternity as his sore feet slapped the pavement and his trainers threatened to fall to pieces. Do you remember the first time, mom? He asked suddenly, repositioning the bag to rub his eyes. Your first Halloween? She asked, looking down at him with the fish hook grin. I sure do. You are so cute in your cow costume. He said, ooh, instead of moo. And the neighbors laughed and said how adorable you were. No, Matthew said. I mean the first time we did this. Look over there, she said suddenly. The Holsteins are waving. Let's go see what they have. Matthew nodded, following her as she led him over like a cow to slaughter. Matt remembered the first time, remembered it well. He had looked up into his mother's eyes and had been so excited. He had run down the street, tugging her along as they went from house to house. That had been the first time that he had seen the man on the corner, and the first time that he had steered her steered her away from him, sorry. Not understanding why, he had laughed when the pillowcase ripped open, spilling his candy on the road. And when his mother had pulled another one out of nowhere, he started feeling that one too. The moon had been full, a big old round moon, or round Halloween moon, sorry, and Matthew revealed, or, fuck, reveled in the light, of that buttery orb. It had taken him a while to get tired, but he had finally asked mom if they could go home so he could rest. She had tried to dissuade him, telling him that they should go to a few more houses. A little while later, when he had asked again, she had tried to push him on, but he had stopped. I'm tired, mama. I'm ready to go home. She had turned then, and that was the first time that he had noticed the smile. Her smile, that sharp, painful grin, had seemed sad as it looked at him, and he had known that there was something off then. This wasn't what he wanted. This hadn't been what he wanted. He had just wanted a Halloween that would. He swallowed. True fear creeping into him as he looked at her unnatural smile and noticed that the children had stopped moving around them. He had just wanted a Halloween that would last forever. Oh, sweetie, you either get the treats or you get the tricks. That was when we had seen them for what they truly were. They had circled around him, training, training, chanting, trick or treat. And as they swarmed in on him, they had torn him apart with their bare hands. All the joy had melted off of his face as their as their nails and teeth dug into him. And when he had woken up on the front porch, his mother asking if he was ready, he had known that something was amiss. Maddie? Matthew looked up, seeing that Miss Holstein had asked him a question. Sorry, ma'am, what were you saying? I asked if you were a scary ghost or not. She was smiling, but it was like Matt could see the bugs crawling under her skin. It made him think that each of them had some kind of centipede or spider beneath their surface, just waiting to leap out. All of them seemed to have something in them, just below the surface. And Matthew was no longer certain he wanted to know what it was. It was hungry, whatever it was, and it seemed to enjoy making him suffer for his slip-ups. Yes, ma'am, I'm a... He yawned, feeling wobbly as the candy sack tried to anchor him to the earth. I'm a scary, scary go. He, th he fell then, not for the first time either. He hit the ground, his mother asking him to get back up, but he was just too tired. Matthew closed his eyes, hoping he would pass out, but... It never happened. He could feel the adults looming around him, hear the chance of trick-or-treat, and when something slammed up against his chest, he felt the breath whoosh out of him as it pierced his heart. He hoped it would be over this time, hoped he'd, he'd be allowed to die or wake up or whatever this was, but he heard his mother's voice and he knew it would happen again. Ready to go trick-or-treating, sweetie? His tired eyes came open, but he reached for her hand and, thought, and a thought occurred. I forgot something inside. I'll be right back. He took a step for the door, but her hand clutched at him just as it had the last time he tried this. It'll be okay. We can get it later. Come on, let's. He then shoved her and that seemed to take her by surprise. He ran inside, shutting the door on her as she got back to her feet. As he turned the deadbolt, she started pounding dully on the hard or hardwood. Sorry, jeez. Now, Maddie, you know how this works. You either get the treat or you get the tricks. He could already hear the muffled cries of trick-or-treat coming from behind the door 
and he backed away slowly as he watched it buck and jerk in the frame. He wasn't strong enough to push the couch in front of the door or even one of the recliners, but he did shove the end table in the hallway in their path before running upstairs and closing the door to his room behind him. He locked the door and squeezed himself into the corner as he threw the sheet he was still wearing across the room. He could hear loud thumping coming from downstairs and he didn't think that the door would keep them out for too long. He racked his brain trying to figure out how to get out of this. He thought back across all of those trick-or-treating trips, all the nights that had come before this, and his mind always went back to the man with the wide-brimmed hat. He was scared of him in a way that wasn't the same as all of the others. Not the bugs or the feral kids or anything he had seen scared him as much as that man. Why though? Why did he terrify him so much? Why did he fill him with dread like this? I want you to meet someone. He covered his ears, but his mother's voice wasn't coming from the house. He's kind of important to me, like you. He put his head between his knees and started to cry as the door broke loudly from downstairs. The words of the children wafted up to him. I've been seeing him sometimes after work or while you're at grandma's for the weekend, and I think he might be, but the rest of it droned down to a low growl as his brain hit the brakes on it. He tried to remember what his mother had said, but he couldn't. His mind struggled with the memory, but as he tried to make it make sense, he heard them pounding on his bedroom door. They were pushing, threatening to break the door, and he curled into a ball and tried to make the memories come back. Trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat. They came thundering into his room, and as they fell on him, one thought broke the surface above all of the others. He needed to see the man and, the fa and face his fears. As they pummeled him to death, one word resonated in his brain and drove him into oblivion. No. Ready to go trick-or-treating, sweetie? The words still sounded in his brain even after the last few times. Matthew had gone along with her for the last, however many times, varying degrees of success. He always avoided the man, always turned her back onto the endless cul-de-sac of candy-laden houses, but it always ended the same. He forgot his manners, he went off script and tried to escape. He simply fell over out of exhaustion and then they had him. He reached for her hand again and as they walked, his brain tried to argue itself into sense. They needed to talk to the man at the end of the block. No. Trick or treat. Mag Matt, sorry, Matt droned. Mr. Debrow smiling as the legs just sat inside of his cheeks. A silent warming, warning to be careful. He knows something. Maybe it was how to get out of this. No. Come on, mom. Let's go to the Andersons, he said, stalling for time. They're not going anywhere, honey, she said as she as he pulled her along, her lips looking chapped as she smiled and smiled. He has to know something. We need to. No. Are you a scary ghost? Miss Holstein asked, and Matt nodded and told her he was. Indeed, a scary ghost. But if we just... No. No, 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 no. Matt finally yelled, clutching his head as he fell to his knees in the road. He wanted his brain to shut up. He was tired. He was so tired. He wanted to go to bed. He just wanted this all to end. He just... That's when he noticed that they were all looking at him. Matt closed his eyes and Oblivion came on not too much later. Well, not Oblivion. Something like... Something more like purgatory. Ready to... But he shoved again and went running down the street. Ghost costume flapping as he jumped off the porch. The kids were after him in a second... But Matt didn't care. They would get him one way or another, but he just needed a break from the constant tricking and treating. He was running up the street, the crowd behind him, and when he looked back, the children seemed to bulge with the scrambling things as well. They were all full of bugs, all full of hate, and Matthew needed a way to get beyond this. He turned back just in time to bump into someone, and as he fell down, he covered his head expecting to be killed with the howling mob. When it didn't come, he Matt looked up to see who had run into. Need a hand up, little buddy? It was a man in the Indiana Jones costume, and to Matthew, he looked like the closest thing to an angel he had ever seen. Matt took his hand, shaking a little as he looked behind him. The mob had stopped, watching the man in confusion. And as Matthew looked up through the eyes of his ghost costume, 
He became aware that this fellow looked different. He looked real, untouched by this place. And Matt wondered why it we why he had been afraid of him. It's great to finally meet you, Matt. Your mother's told me all about you, and I've been looking forward to meeting you. I'm Derek, and I guess I'm your mom's. But the words seemed to slow down, and the dread came back over Matthew. As the mob came back to screaming life, Matt realized why he had been afraid of this guy. Matthew turned, wanting to run again, but he was blinded by bright lights, and he put his hand up to stop them. As he fell into oblivion, Matthew came to terms with what he had to do, and he hoped he still had the strength to do it. He needed to face his fears, otherwise he'd be stuck here forever. Ready to go trick-or-treating, sweetie? He looked up into his mother's smiling face. The corners of her mouth red as they threatened to crack and shook his head. Not yet, we're missing someone. He reached up and took her hand and as they walked off towards the one thing he feared most, the kids parted for them. They watched him chanting their infernal mantra, and it seemed that he had the eyes of the whole neighborhood. As he walked towards the swollen moon, he felt it swivel in the sky, and the craters too seemed to watch him as he made a beeline for the spot that he had tried so hard to avoid. It wasn't easy. Each step felt like the first step towards the high dive at the pool, or the roller coaster at the amusement park, he could see the man, his hat at a jaunty angle, and as they moved closer to him, all of the people around them seemed to hold their breath. Julia, Derek said, raising his hand and walking over, and this must be Matthew. Good to meet you, buddy. I'm Derek. He put out a hand, and Matt shook it heartily. Maddie, I want you to meet someone, his mother said. He's kind of important, like you. And I've been seeing him sometimes after work or while you're at grandma's for the weekend. And I think he might be someone you'll be seeing more of in the future. Matthew, this is Derek. He's my boyfriend. Matthew told him he was pleased to meet him. And as he watched the two of them talking quietly, he expected that now things would go back to the way they were. That was it. This was one of those storybook moments that would turn everything back to the way it was supposed to be. Matthew smiled as he watched her hand slip into his and felt like everything would be okay now. When the first person began to scream, he felt a little less sure than he had before. The mob of children had followed them, the adults standing out like sore thumbs amongst them, and many of them were pointing at him. That huge moon that he had thought of as an eye, only moments before, cracked like an egg and split into two pieces. It began to rain something down on them, something that didn't look entirely pleasant. They slapped against his ghost costume wettedly, and, or, but as one fell across the eye hole, Matt saw that they were bugs. They looked like a cross between a centipede and a spider, and as he threw it away, the crowd began to surge towards him. Matt ran, the only thing he could think to do, and as his mother and Derek stood amongst the throng of chasers, they looked like rocks in a rushing river. He ran, his sore feet almost spilling him into the road more than once. He had been so sure that this would work, that this would free him, but now he wasn't sure what he was supposed to do. The creepy crawlies were biting him as they covered the outside of his costume, weighing him down and making him sore. As the mob closed in, the cries of trick-or-treat sounding like a war chant, Matt saw a bright light coming up fast. He put up a hand, shielding his eyes, but didn't dare to stop running. As the light bore down on him, he hoped he would make, would wake up and, sorry, would wake up anywhere besides the front porch of his house. Heaven, hell, nothingness, whatever was coming next, Matthew welcomed it with open arms. The cries of the mob were driven into blissful silence, only to be replaced with a harsh and rhythmic beeping. Matt opened his eyes as his hand shot up and slapped his ear, making his head ring. He could see a pristine hospital room with a beeping IV pole attached to one arm and the warm sun of mid-morning outside of a big window. His mother was snoring softly as she lay across his feet, and as he moved his legs... Having gone to sleep, as she laid across him, she stirred and looked up at him in surprise. Oh my god, Matthew! She grabbed him and gave him a hug, his IV making him feel pinched. But he was happy to have woken up somewhere different for a change. Hey mom, what's going on? She smoothed his hair, his eyes wet looking as she 
tried to commit him to memory. You got hit by a car, sweetie. You ran away while we were trick-or-treating after. She opened her mouth like a fish but shook it off. It's not important. What's important is that you're awake. Where's Derek? The vision of the two of them standing stationary as the group of screaming children poured past them, still vivid in his mind. He's been by a few times, wanted to make sure you were okay. I told him I might need to take a break, though. I didn't mean to upset you when I told you. I know it was sudden, and I should have eased you into it. I'm sorry, Maddie, she said, half crying. No, it's okay. I was just surprised. I shouldn't have ran away. You should call him and let him know that everything's okay. His mother looked shocked, but happy. She had clearly been worried for a while, but she was happy that Matthew was awake again. She stood up, asking if he wanted something to drink, and Matt nodded in, in the affirmative. His throat was very dry, and it felt like a while since he had used it properly. It wasn't until the sun set and the night came on that Matthew became anxious again. His mother excused herself, saying that she needed to get some food and maybe call Derek to tell him that Matthew was okay. She had sat with him all day, watching cartoons and just kind of holding him, but it appeared that her lack of lunch was casting... <laughs> Her lack of lunch was catching up to her. The hospital was quieter now, the night shift in full swing, but still she stopped by before heading out the door. You'll be okay for a few minutes, right? You look a little pale like there's something on your mind. As another yawn shot through him, Matthew thought again about how his body would make him sleep soon. And he thought of something he should have considered earlier today. He hadn't noticed right away, but when he had brought his hand down from his ear, he had wiped something onto the sheet. He must have rolled it into the sheet somehow because he, had, he hadn't thought of it until he put his hand against the spot a while later. His mother had been in the bathroom. The door opened so she could peek out at him, making sure he hadn't disappeared, and when he unbound the sheet, he saw something far too familiar there, staining the sheet brown and red as it pressed against it. It was part of the things that he had seen falling out of the moon, the head and pinchers of that strange centipede spider thing. He had picked it up in a napkin and thrown it in the garbage before his mother could see it. But what did it mean? Did it mean that all of this had been real? Had the creature come from inside of his head? Matt didn't know what to think, but he found himself wondering something as he lay there feeling tired. When he went to sleep, would he wake back up in the real world or would he fall back into that eternal Halloween? Matthew was afraid that he might find out soon enough. Man, that is the first one. And it was a long one, but it pretty creepy, honestly. So that's just kind of, I guess, what they're going to be like. I have a couple more, but yeah, let's just continue on. Alright everyone, so this is number two of the creepypastas, same reddit thread r slash creepypastas, and this is by user johncena166, and the title of this one is The Lost Tapes of the Dark King. Okay, most of you probably won't believe what I'm about to say, but here it goes. I was working late at the office for overtime. My boss walks in and he tells me my time is almost up. Okay, I said. When my time was up, I packed up my things, went to my car, and left the premises. When I got home, I sat on my couch and watched some sports. A few minutes later, I hear a knock on the door. It was my best friend, Michelangelo. Nikolai, he said as I opened the door. I noticed you just got home. Yeah, I responded. Just figured I'd watch some sports to pass the time until I gotta go to bed. Tomorrow's my big presentation. Well, don't fuss over it, man. I know you'll do great. I invited him to come inside, but he declined. He said something about having to pick up his wife from the hospital, so I shut the door and returned to watching my sports. My wife was almost out of work during this time as well. After she, or after the sports ended, I heard the door cracking. Honey, I'm home. My wife, Mildred, said she kissed me and I kissed her. A few hours passed by and now it's 11 p.m. I figure it's time to go to bed now and I go upstairs to my room and I lay right next to my wife who was reading the newspaper. 
So what's going on in the news today, I asked her. Well, she answered, they found those missing children, you know, the ones who were kidnapped a few weeks ago. They were still alive, thank God, but they said they seemed different. Different how? Well, their parents said they were all strangely similar to each other after they returned, especially when they are in close proximity to each other. They all liked the same food. They all wore the same clothes. I can't hear any more of this. I stopped her. I need to wake up early tomorrow. Sorry, sweetie. We said our goodnight and we went to sleep. The next day, I woke up at the usual 4 a.m. to get ready for work. This is the big day, I told myself as I was driving along. It felt like I hit something. I pulled over and I stepped out to see what I hit. When I got there, there was a VHS on the ground and it didn't look damaged at all. Tremender, it read. I looked around to see if there were any other houses around to see if I could find the owner of it. Nothing, so I packed it up and put it in my car. I then went back to the road and went to work. When I got there, I was 25 minutes early, as usual. I won't get into detail about work this time, but let's say the presentation went well. When I got home, I took the VHS out and went to my TV. Let's see what's on this before I return it back to the owner, I thought. As I put it in the VHS player, there was static. Then there, were, there was a kid's show from the 1960s. This show was called Happy Playtime. Hey, I used to watch this as a kid, I said. My wife then walked through the door. Honey, I'm... She paused. There was a silence for a few seconds. Why are you watching a kid's cartoon, she asked. Well, I found this VHS tape and I figured I should see if there was any incriminating footage on it before I returned it to the owners, I answered her. That's invasion of privacy, she told me. You should turn it in to the authorities tomorrow morning. It's your weekend after all. I nodded and I took the tape out of the player and put it back in the bag. Went along with our usual days until bedtime. At about 5.30 a.m., our daughter comes into our room. Daddy, she said with fear in her voice. Yes, sweetie, I asked her. Can I sleep in bed with you and mommy? I had a nightmare. Of course you can, Caroline. She hopped into bed and we fell asleep. When I woke up the next morning, I see Caroline leaning over the bedstand. What are you doing, Caroline? I asked her. No response for five minutes. She then shakes her head and says, what am I doing over here? She then goes back into our bed and lays next to Mildred. I shrugged it off and got into my car to take the tape to the authorities. When I got to the police station, I see a familiar looking car outside of the building. I went inside and I saw Michelangelo. I'm telling you, I know... My side was in the hospital the other night, and now she's gone. I'm going to assume it is wife, not side, sorry. I'm telling you I know my wife was in the hospital the other night, and now she's gone. He told the officer at his station. Mr. Granada, the officer started, We have done everything we can to find her, but there is no evidence of a kidnapping. Maybe she got up and drove herself. But officer, she can't drive. She's paralyzed. I decided to wait for Michelangelo to get done with his report before standing, sending the tape through. Sir, we're going to have to ask you to leave. There's nothing else we can do, the officer told him. After Michelangelo left, I went up to the glass and showed them the tape. Yep, he said, we've seen this before. It's what was found after those kids went missing. How do you have it? He asked. I found it on my way to work, I replied. He took the tape and sent me on my way. When I got home, it was eerily quiet. Honey, I'm home. No response. Mildred? Caroline? No response. I walked up the stairs to the second floor and all of the doors were open. I walked in each of them and no one was there. I then walked down to the basement and noticed that the light bulb had gone out. I went and grabbed a flashlight and searched for them. Mildred? Still nothing. After I searched the whole basement, I went back upstairs. I looked in the garage and saw that Mildred's car was still here. Maybe they're at the neighbor's house? I thought to myself. I decided to wait for them to come back. Suddenly, I look at my kitchen table and I see the VHS tape. This time it had blood on it and it read, Human tree, I think is what it says. Could it be the same VHS tape? I asked myself. I put it in the VHS player and there was static. Then I heard whispers. The dark king will fight. The dark blood dreckens will rise. It then goes back to the cartoon show. I was creeped out. This time I didn't take it to the authorities. Instead, I hid it so I couldn't see it anymore. There was still no sign of Mildred and Caroline, so I decided to call Caroline's friend's parents. 
they weren't there either. I decided to sleep it off. The next day, Mildred was in bed with me, but she looked different. Mildred? I shake her. Nothing. Mildred, wake up. I shook her again. No response. I then decided to turn her over. Her face had blood on it. Her brown hair was suddenly a golden blonde, and her eyes, her blue eyes were now bloodshot red. Her skin was gray. I shrieked. I walked into Caroline's room and saw her standing in a corner. Caroline, I said. The Dark King will fight, she said quietly. What? I replied. She then turns her head and smiles in a creepy way. She tilts her head and turns around to me. She lifts her arm, revealing a bloody knife. She then runs towards me and I run away. She suddenly got faster. I decided to do the only thing I could think to do, which was go to Michelangelo's house and ask for help. I busted into his house and called for him. Michelangelo, help! No reply. I then see him sitting on his couch, his face looking blank. I wave my hand in his face to see if he would react. The dark blood drunkens will rise, he says quietly. Oh no, I say. He then stands up and whistles. Suddenly, all of the kids that were missing and recently found surrounded his house. He then pulls up the VHS tape and puts it in his VHS player. He hits pause and grabs me by the arm. I try to fight back, but it was pointless. He sat me down on a chair and taped me to it and made me watch the tape. There wasn't a kid's show. It was a surveillance footage of my house. On the tape, there were dark-hooded people at my house door. They open the door and walk in. They then walk out carrying Mildred and Caroline. They look at the camera and took off their hoods. They didn't look like people. Their skin was black. Their eyes were blackened. Their mouths were bloody. Their teeth were pointy and green. And all of a sudden, the tape cuts out and one of the creatures were on the camera shaking it. It then cuts to a black screen. I try to scream, but I can't. I can't move. I can't even blink. Then the TV screen cuts to static. The static comes out of the TV, forms a hand, and grabs me. I attempt to scream, but I still can't. It then pulls me through the TV, but my body is still in the chair. My body then stands up, goes to the TV, smirks, and breaks the TV. I can't get out. I can't move. I can't scream. The Dark King will fight. The Dark Blood Dragons will rise. The Dark King will fight. The Dark Blood Dragons will rise. And that is that one. Which, that would be fucking terrifying to be just pulled into a TV. No, thank you. Mm-mm. No. creepy pasta number three this one is from the same reddit thread but on the post it takes you to like almost a sort of personal blog and so this one is by victoria lotto and it's called becoming prey the crunch of the orange and gold leaves echo through the valley as the whisper of the dried corn husk speaks of spirits still traveling this path as the coven trapeze solemnly through the field in remembrance of their fallen sisters, Farina pauses. Something is off. It's paranoia. She snares to herself, smirking at her mind's silly suggestion that someone is watching. Just as she's about to take another step, she sees it. Eyes. Like a gazelle sensing a lion lurking just out of reach, the hairs on the back of her neck rise. Throwing a wildfire of goosebumps across her skin, shifting her weight, she dare not move. Unable to call out, her vo vocal cords paralyzed with fear. She watches helplessly as her sisters continue down the worn path, blissfully unaware. Immune to the shift from the predator to prey, leaving her behind. Her senses heighten as the lowering sun casts its light. Last, gold, sorry, last golden rays just past the horizon, plunging her surroundings into darkness with not even the moon to keep her company. Minutes tick by until she lost all sense of time. With the darkness, she expected the beast of the night to stir, but it was deathly quiet. The shuffle of the corn husks interrupt her thoughts, forcing her to take one step, then another, until finally she is able to continue the path her sister had long since passed, but not without looking in the direction of where the eyes had been. She continued to scan the wood line as she walked carefully of any loose gravel or underbrush, but then she saw it. When she first saw the shadowy figure, she thought it was odd-looking bark. 
Yeah. Uh, she thought it was odd looking bark. Sorry. <laughs> but as she peered closer, it became apparent that they're hiding among the leaves. It was watching her. Deviating from the path, she stepped closer, trying to make out the person's features. It wasn't until she took about eight more steps that she realized it was a child. Pale and gaunt, Farina reached towards the child. What are you doing out here alone? When no answer came, she tried again. Are you hurt? Lost? Still no answer. Save a, t save a tilt of its head. Her stomach dropped. Something didn't seem right, but she needed to help this kid. What if the child was hurt or lost? What about the parents? Where are they? Hurrying towards the child, questions plagued her mind, thoughts racing with how she was going to help him. But when she made it to the wood line, she stopped dead. There, a pale, smiling boy stood with dark voids where its eyes should have been. Reaching towards her, he grabbed for her sleeve. Farina sidestepped to evade his sharp claws that intended to pull her towards him. His grin widened, displaying two rows of sharp teeth. Are you my new mommy? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I hate that. Hated that. His eerie, <laughs> disembodied voice pierced the silence. Farina took a step back, and the child followed. Where are you going, mommy? Fear seized her, but she couldn't let it affect her. Not this time. This wasn't a child of this world, nor a benevolent spirit. This child, this thing, was dangerous. Turning, she ran. A growl sounded from behind her. She knew, she just knew that it was him. The hunt was on, and she was its next meal. Dodging undergrowth and cutting through the cornfield, Farina raced back to the path towards the witch's Samhain festival. If she could make it there, maybe, just maybe, she had a chance, but she didn't make it. Heavy foot footfalls sounded behind her. They were too heavy to be a child's. Aching to look back, she forced herself forward, knowing that it would only slow her down if she looked back now. A fire ripped through her right shoulder down her back. She fell, arched against the pain. Her blood was boiling, muscles spasming. She couldn't breathe, couldn't think. It was, it was only when she heard the heavy puffs of the creature behind her, scenting her, that she froze. Farina tried to move away, tried to glance behind her, but the pain was too much. The little hand grabbed her ankle and pulled with an otherworldly force, screaming. She resisted as it pulled harder, dragging her back towards the wood line. Fighting the flaring pain, Farina twisted and fought against the ground, dirt and gravel, embedding themselves into her nails. The monster laughed, flipping her onto her back and pulled again. Dark spots swarmed her vision as the dirt dug into her fresh wounds. Gasping out a sob, she cried out while the child continued to pull her to the edge of the forest. Darkness ensnaring her mind. This one also does say to be continued, so if you would like to go read the second part of that whenever it is posted, you totally could, because that is a very good story. Very detailed, very good writing. I really liked it. Very good. I probably didn't do it justice because I'm me. <laughs> But I tried. Now let's move on to the last one. All right, so last but certainly not least, this is our fourth creepypasta, and I'm going to end it with this one because they are just so long. But this one is same Reddit thread, r slash creepypastas, and this is by user fight dash, not slash, dash, me dash, in dash, unreal. And it is called The Strange Case of Sarton. Trigger warning, suicide for this one. And it was also posted on a different message board called the bums library and it was made in like mid 2009 so 
I'm not really sure if it is like considered a creepypasta, but it was posted on the creepypastas page. I don't really know, but it is very good and very intriguing and I am excited to read it. Hey guys, I've been pretty active in the library for a couple of years and I finally mustered up the courage to share the weirdest thing that has happened to me. This occurred in Sarton, Arizona, my hometown. Don't bother looking it up because as of 2000, it doesn't exist. Sarton was a close-knit town and we had approximately 4,000 people and everyone knew each other and helped each other out, a typical town in small America. I was, pretty, I was a pretty studious kid, graduated top of my class, well, technically graduated, I'll explain later. I wanted to pursue politics as an adult, yeah, I was an idiot, so I was active in my town's local government and attended every city council meeting. One day, September 1st, 1999, we had another council meeting, just a normal meeting. I think we were discussing a new shopping plaza opening in a nearby town or something. I was 17 at the time and was working as an assistant to the mayor. So a good group of 70 so 70 or so people arrived in town hall and take their seats. The first 15 minutes were normal, you know, small town stuff. In the middle of a discussion, a man rose from his seat. Let's just call him Alan from his last name. He was a young man, maybe five years older than me. I never knew him personally, but everyone said he was a jolly guy. One of the stoner types. Alan didn't say a word, just pulled a revolver out of his pocket and shot himself in the head. I remember it vividly, the way he instantly fell to the floor, the blood leaking from his eyes and ears, the old lady next to him screaming, brain matter painted to the side of her face. Sorry, that's really, that's a lot. Naturally, the meeting was called off and the town went into a period of mourning. Schools were closed for a week and many parents took their kids out of town. Naturally, I was pretty shocked. That week was a blur, and I think I just watched TV and played PlayStation. So come Monday of next week, when school was going to reopen and nobody seemed to care, it's not like they moved on. They acted as if it just never happened. I got the courage to, to ask some folks around town. I was a shy kid, and they said Alan was still alive. Even better, they said there was never a council meeting that day, as the mayor was sick with the flu. I went to the mayor himself and he confirmed that he had a bad case of the flu. I asked for the city records and he was a bit surprised but trusted me and let me look. Sure enough, no meeting on September 1st. Later, I visited Alan himself. He invited me in and we played video games for a while. He was a really cool guy, just enjoying his life, almost like a modern hippie. Regardless, I asked him about his quote-unquote suicide and he thought I was playing a prank and laughed it off. He said he would never think of committing suicide, much less in a public place. He told me he was anti-gun and didn't own a firearm. Thoroughly creeped out, I left the house. I became obsessed with this incident, to the point my parents thought I was mentally ill. Even the weird conspiracy theory kids at my school thought I was off my rocker. Come Christmas time and I decided to take a road trip with my parents' blessing, I drove to Albuquerque to stay with my cousin. We were very close. After getting hammered at a New Year's Eve party, kids underage drinking is bad, I drunkenly told my cousin about the incident. To my shock, he believed me. He was always an out there guy telling me about UFOs he saw and stuff like that. We discussed our thoughts for a while. He of course thought it was aliens and I toyed with the idea of a crazy hallucination and maybe I was just crazy. Nonetheless, I left back from Sartan shortly I left, sorry, oh my god, <laughs> I left back for Sarton shortly after New Year's. I thought I got lost for a while. If you weren't alive in the 90s, GPS was really primitive and kind of crappy, and it said that there was no Sarton on the map. Whatever, I thought. GPS was unreliable. I stopped at a gas station in a nearby town and picked up a map of the area. Imagine my surprise when Sarton was fucking gone. I asked the cashier and he told me that there was no Sarton and where it would be was just a gravel road in a secluded part of a desert. I went to that area and sure enough, it was a shitty gravel road with the only other living things being cacti. I am ashamed to admit this, but I got out of the car and threw up on the pavement. My hometown, my parents, they were all gone. 
I immediately returned to Albuquerque with my cousin. He went insane and allowed me to live with him. He was a law student, so he was out of the house a lot. And one day, I used the house phone to call my grandparents. They lived in Albuquerque. I asked for a copy of my birth certificate, and I said I was just curious. When it arrived, I nearly shot myself. Same birth date, same parents, same everything, except for the fact that it said I was born in Albuquerque. I asked my my grandparents about my parents, and they told me that my mom had died in childbirth and my dad had died of AIDS when I was four. For all intents and purposes, I was raised by my grandparents. I don't even remember the next year. I stopped talking about the incident, even to my cousin. In the outside world, I was I just played along with the new story of my life. I graduated top of my class in 2000 without saying a single word about this to anyone. Me and my cousin had a pact to ignore the incident and just play along. Pretty soon, I think he started believing the story. I'm 26 now, just graduated with a doctorate in dermatology from UNM, and I have a loving girlfriend and managed to break out of my shell and make some real friends. I never spoke a word about the incident, and this has been bothering me since it happened. The 10-year anniversary is coming up, so I decided to reopen this. If no one in my real life would believe me, maybe the internet will. If you lived in the Tuscan area in the late 90s, do you remember Sarton, Arizona? I thought that one was so interesting, because I just... I find those TikToks where people talk about going into, like, an alternate reality, like, quite fascinating. I don't know. Freaks me out, though, just to think about that happening. I don't know. But, yeah. Those are the creepypastas, and I hope you thoroughly enjoyed them. All right, everyone, that brings our first spooky Halloween special episode to a close. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. I am very excited for the next couple of episodes. That one is just a little bit of what it's going to look like. It's going to be super fun. Hope you're excited. Uh, If you haven't entered in the drawing for the spooky basket, make sure to do that. The drawing is coming up soon on Halloween, so I... I want to give y'all a spooky basket, so please go enter the drawing. Just leave your favorite Halloween movie in the comment section, like the post, and follow me. Super simple, and you could get a really cool spooky basket if you ask me. It's very cool. So, yeah. I hope you all have a lovely rest of your day, and I will see you tomorrow. (laughs) Bye-bye!